Kay Rizzo, in her column in The Signs of the Times, tells the story of little five-year-old Jeffrey. I want to read it to you. Jeffrey's baby brother, Eric, had died. After the funeral, Jeffrey watched and listened as teary family members drifted in and out of his home. He heard all the Bible promises, all the sympathetic comments, and all the not-so-comforting cliches. He patiently endured the weepy kisses from the aunts and grandmothers and the smothering hugs from the uncles and grandpas. While Jeffrey's father walked the last of the mourners to their cars, the boy went in search of his mother. He found her, lying face down on her bed, sobbing. With a wisdom worthy of the ancients, he climbed onto that bed, snuggled close beside her, and said, Don't worry, Mommy. When Jesus comes, he's going to give Eric brand new batteries. Boy, I get choked up just reading this story. Isn't that beautiful? The boy nailed it. That's the gospel truth. When Jesus comes back, he's going to give Eric brand new batteries. That's the hope that gathers us on this lockdown Sabbath. Look, this is Resurrection Sabbath, but we're all locked down. Can you believe it? All dressed up and, as I said a moment ago, and nowhere to go. So here we are together. Come on, let's go. Let's go to Scripture. It's a line I've never quoted in public before. You and I have never shared it before. Jacqueline just read it a moment ago. It's a very short line. I'm going to open my Bible to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. And I'm going to invite you to find your Bible wherever it is. Look, I need to tell you something. I have all the time in the world. I'm in no rush. We're locked down. I can't go anywhere. So I'm waiting until you get your Bible. Just grab that Bible. It's got to be near you. You have to see this. Most people skip over this line in the book of Ephesians. No longer. We got to get it now. Uh, You got it. You got it. Good, good, good. Let's go. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. This is the New International Version. All right. Here we go. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. Wake up, sleeper. This one line must surely be intended for two groups. Obvious group number one, those who sleep in death in Jesus. And not so obvious group number two, those who sleep in life, when they need now to be wide awake. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Okay, let's look at those two groups. Group number one, those who sleep in death in Christ. Oh, I wish we had a YouTube clip of this moment. Oh, man. Of course, the the camera would have just gone white. Wouldn't have been able to record a millisecond of what transpired that that resurrection morning. I'm talking about when Gabriel, like a meteor, streaks from heaven to earth. And the sound of his approach, listen, I grew up as a kid in Japan, living near a U.S. Air Force base outside of Tokyo. Have you ever heard a sonic boom? I've heard many of them. A sonic boom happens when the fighter jet exceeds the speed of sound. The sound is 720 miles an hour. So when he breaks that sound barrier, there is this boom. It's just everything shakes. Matthew doesn't call it breaking the sound barrier. But you read Matthew's account, Matthew's account someday. In, uh, maybe read it tomorrow. Uh, Matthew 28. 
It says there was a mighty earthquake that just shook the earth. So Gabriel, he's down. And oh my, what transpires next? I want to go, I want to draw the veil aside because I'm thinking to myself, these words would be perfect to say right there, wake up sleeper. But Desire of Ages actually captures, so I'm grabbing my Desire of Ages right here because I can do that when I'm preaching in my own house. I can have the books right nearby. So I have Desire of Ages here. Pulls the veil aside. What does the mightiest angel in the universe speak into that tomb? Okay, so this is Desire of Ages. And I'm going to begin reading right here. It's page 779 for those who keep track of such things. It's speaking about the Roman guards now. Gabriel has just appeared. Now watch their faces. The face they look upon, okay, so we're talking about the Roman warriors. The face they look upon is not the face of mortal warrior. Mm -mm. It is the face of the mightiest of the Lord's host. This messenger is he who fills the position from which Satan fell. It is he who... On the hills of Bethlehem, proclaim Christ's birth. The earth earth trembles at his approach. The hosts of darkness flee. And as he rolls that stone away, heaven seems to come down to earth. The soldiers see him removing the stone as he would a pebble. Gone. And they hear him cry. Now, here's what they hear him cry. Son of God, come forth. Thy father calls thee. Wake up sleeper and they see Jesus come forth from the grave and they hear him proclaim over the rent sepulcher I am the resurrection and the life and as he comes forth in majesty and glory the angel hosts bow low in adoration before the redeemer and they welcome him with songs of praise oh if we had that on a clip we'd watch it over and over and over again I am the resurrection and the life. They who believe in me, though they die, yet shall they live. Wake up, sleeper. Come on, I got to get my Bible open again. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. We're talking about the living, resurrected Christ himself will shine on you. You know what? If Gabriel could summon forth the Son of God, With that call, your father calls you. I mean, how much more is Jesus going to be able to, with that mighty shout from that fiery cloud, summon our loved ones who sleep in him now? I read just a moment ago uh, in Desire of Ages, you caught that line, demons flee, the host of demons flees as Gabriel approaches. Good news for you and me. There is no demon in hell who can hold our beloved sleeping loved ones in the icy grip of the enemy's hand. When, when Jesus returned, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and let the light of Christ shine upon you. Whoa. Don't worry, mommy. How's that line go? Don't worry, mommy. When Jesus comes, he's going to give Eric brand new batteries. And by the way, not just baby Eric. He's going to give brand new batteries to every man, to every woman, to every young adult, to every teen, to every child who sleeps in him. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. Hey, listen, let's do this. 
We're at home. Let's, let's just do a little bit of old-fashioned, letting our fingers walk through the white pages. Let's just look up three texts. These are, these are some of the best of the best resurrection promises. Why not remind ourselves of them? So I'm going to go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Your Bible is already there. Would you find 1 Corinthians 15 with me? 1 Corinthians 15. Look, these are not going to be surprise texts. I'm sure you have heard them before. But on this resur- resurrection weekend, this resurrection Sabbath, we've got to read them again. All right, so this is 1 Corinthians 15. I'm dropping down here to verse 51. Same writer of Ephesians. This is Paul. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. Wake up, sleeper. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. Hallelujah. The dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed to living. For the perishable must close it, clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And when is, this is verse 54 now, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up. Hallelujah, in victory. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. That voice one day will penetrate the ears of everyone sleeping, every friend of his sleeping in the dusty beds of this earth. Wake up, sleeper. All right, here's another one now. We're just looking at some of the greatest of the great. Here are words, you know what? I'll just tell you as a pastor. Every graveside I conduct, these words are are always included somewhere in those few moments by that now sacred plot of earth. All right, so I'm turning now to 1 Thessalonians. don't have my Bible marked up, so I have to find it just like you. So I'll give you a second. It's not hard to find. Just keep going beyond uh, 1 Corinthians. You run into 1 Thessalonians. So I'm in chapter 4. I want to pick it up here in verse 14. This, this, this metaphor of sleep, it just keeps coming back again and again. Watch this. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Oh, do we ever believe it? That's what we're celebrating right now. Wait till we sing that glorious hymn in just a moment. Christ the Lord is risen today. We believe. Oh, yes, we do, Paul. You got it. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus, when Jesus returns now from earth on his mission, God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Sleep, sleep, sleep. It's the Bible teaching. It's the most philosophically sound teaching of death anywhere. In human consciousness, human literature, human beliefs, death is asleep. Now, I'll keep going on verse 15. According to the Lord's will, we tell you that we who are still, still alive, I'm talking about you and me, Paul is, we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. There it is again. Now come the familiar words. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with a trumpet call of God. Wow. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive, that would be us now, we who are still alive and are left because everybody else, it's just this, this is cataclysm in the max, to the max. It's just the, the, the surface of the planet has been obliterated by this glorious return. So we who are left, there's nobody else left. 
And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them, the now resurrected dead in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Wow. That's the hope that has kept you and me. I don't care if you're younger than a college student right now, just a teen. Good for you. That's the hope that keeps us going. It's kept us going. Some of us have been on this journey for a few years, but it's kept us going. Therefore, comfort. Encourage one another with these words. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. Sixteen families. Karen and I just had the privilege of reading their names. Sixteen families now cling to this promise. That they will be, we together with them shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. I'm going to share one more text with you because you need to know where this wake up sleeper comes from. And here's a text I predict you haven't read at all. Oh, you may have if you read the book of Isaiah, but they probably skipped right over it. But let's go to, let's go take a look at it. It was helpful for me to go back and read it. Oh my, this is practically Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5 rather, verse 14 all over again. So this is, this is Isaiah 26, all right? So you, you're finding Isaiah, the great gospel prophet. This is Isaiah 26, verse 19. You'll recognize, you'll, you'll, you'll get the feel, you'll recognize it. But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up. There's that phrase. Wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning, O God, and the earth will give birth to her dead. Those dusty covers one day will be thrown back. That's what this Resurrection Weekend's all about. We affirm again our hope, our belief, our trust that even as the mighty life giver himself, the resurrection and the life, raised back to life, he will return and do the same for every friend sleeping, waiting for him to come. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The English poet and writer and lawyer who rather late in life became a pastor, good for you, John Donne, because that's the poet I'm talking about. John Donne wrote a collection of uh, sonnets, called them Holy Sonnets. By the way, 1621, he was appointed late in life, appointed dean of St. Paul's Cathedral in London, all right? So he, he, he wrote, a son, this would be Holy Sonnet number 10, and it bears the title, Death Be Not Proud. Now, my mother lost her kid brother when he was only 18 years old. I'd just been born a few months earlier when Uncle Marty died. He died far away from his homeland. He died in South Africa, where my grandparents, Grandma and Grandpa Watts, were missionaries. Marty succumbed to that brain tumor. And I've had the joy and the, the, the quiet honor uh, of standing on that little rural piece of property called a cemetery on the campus of Helderberg College and gazing down on Uncle Marty's grave. Anyway, I remember as a boy growing up, my mother reading a book by an American writer named John Gunther. He wrote a book called Death Be Not Proud. It was the, it was the, the tender account of his own 
boys battle with, with a brain tumor. He also lost his boy to that tumor. So anyway, I remember seeing my mother read that book, a little paperback in Japan. She, I don't know where she got it, but she would read it. That title, Death Be Not Proud, comes straight from this, this holy sonnet, number 10. That's the title of the, of the sonnet. And it's the, opening, it's the opening line. In fact, what I want to do is share the first cup, the first two lines, and then I'll share the, uh, the last two lines. There's only about uh, 15 lines in between, but let's just read the first two. The first couplet, Death, be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. Now go down, drop right down to the bottom of the sonnet. One short, one short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more, death Thou shalt die. Isn't that dramatic? One short sleep past, and we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. And then the, the dramatic addressing of this mortal enemy of the human race. Death, thou shalt die. Death swallowed up in victory. Wake up, sleeper. How's that go? Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the, from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The blessed and comforting hope that binds our hearts together on this resurrection Sabbath. Christ, the one who promised, because I live, you will live also. Resurrects it. That, that old Latin word, you know what it means? It very simply means he is risen. Resurrected. He is risen. And because he is, wake up, sleeper. So that's group number one. But there's also group number two. Could it be that this wake up, sleeper command is not only an imperative that will awaken the dead, but, but it is also an imperative that must Awaken the living. Wake up, sleeper. Do you see what's going on? Wake up. Rise from the dead. What are you talking about, Dwight? Well, let's read one more text together. You'll get it. Boy, we've stuck with Paul, except for that little Isaiah line. We've stuck with Paul the whole time. And this is Paul now. This is Romans. His magnum opus, so to speak. Romans chapter 13 Drop down. These are familiar words, probably. Maybe you've never heard them before. Well, I'm going to read them in your hearing now. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. And do this, understanding the present time. Folks, do you understand the present time? Do I? Do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Nobody's dead here. They're alive. Wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Hallelujah. So... Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Wake up, sleeper. We can't be sleeping now, Paul says. The night is far spent. See, old King James puts it, the day is at hand. Yeah, Dwight, you know what? That was written 2,000 years ago. Bingo, you got it. Yeah, but it's today now. We're 2,000 years later. 
So how could the night be far spent if it was far spent 2,000 years ago? And that usually is the pushback. People who aren't sure or who don't really want to think that the, the, that the return of Jesus is sooner than they think. That's their pushback. You know what? It said that 2,000 years ago. We're still here. As Peter said, what was it? Second Peter chapter 3. In the last days, there will arise scoffers who say, where is the promise of his coming? All things have continued as they have from the beginning, from the days of our fathers. Look out about slipping into that category, because let me tell you something. Just like that, Jesus has come for you. You say, how could that be? When you die. It was one of the saddest funerals I've conducted last few months, maybe even several years. 48 years old, healthy, young father and husband. His wife found him the next morning, asleep in Jesus. For him, that was the return of Christ. Maybe for you, sir, tomorrow will be the return of Christ. Wait a minute, why am I talking about you? Maybe for me. Don't just sniff at the thriving sense of imminence that radiates through the New Testament. That is intentional because nobody knows. Hey, can I put it this way? Nobody knows if we'll be the next coronavirus victim. Nobody knows. We already had 12 deaths here in little Berrien County, Michigan. Now, I'm not trying to spook anybody, but the point is, I don't want you belittling the Scripture's firm call. Listen, the night is almost gone. The day is nearly here. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. and Let Christ shine on you. That's not just about those who sleep in death. That's about those who sleep in life. Wake up. Listen, I want you to file this. You be okay with this? I'm going to, I want you to file something under the heading, you can get there from here. I'm just going to run these by you. Boom, 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 boom. All right? You can get there from here. Okay, here's Pew Research Center. Oh, they just came out with a survey. This was uh, released on March 30, so that would be 11 days ago. A survey of 11,537 U.S. adults conducted uh, uh, during the previous uh, 10 days in March. I love, I, I love the heading for this, and this is from their own page. Here's the heading to their, their report. Most Americans say coronavirus outbreak has impacted their lives. Are you kidding me? Most Americans? What, where are we right now? I think you could have written the headline, Every American says the coronavirus has impacted my life. But anyway, uh, here's the line I want you to... To get The virus also has impacted Americans' religious behaviors. Here we go. More than half of all U.S. adults, 55%, say they have prayed for an end to the spread of coronavirus. Guilty as charged. You bet I have, and so have you. Large majorities of Americans who pray daily, that would be 86% of Americans, and of U.S. Christians, 73% of Americans, have taken to prayer during the outbreak. But so have some who say they seldom or never pray, and people who say they do not belong to any religion. 50% of those who say they never pray are now praying. 24% of those who do not belong to any religion are now praying. Here's what I want you to tuck away with this one. In a time of crisis or calamity, people who were otherwise irreligious 
suddenly start thinking otherwise. That's what calamities do. They remind us of our mortality. So I had a radio interview uh, this week with my friend Tom Majur. He's the director of Strong Tower Radio all over the state of Michigan. Tom was telling me in, in the interview, he was telling me that they've, they've got new numbers in now that Bible sales are going through the ceiling. Why? Because Americans are running down to Walmart or wherever and they're picking up a Bible. My point, don't forget it. All it takes is one major crisis and suddenly an unreachable country or community is wide open to the thought of eternity. All right. Here's number two. This is from the University of Copenhagen. This is the name of the researcher, Janet Sinding Benson. Her research is titled, In Crisis We Pray, Religiosity and the COVID-19 Pandemic. Fascinating study. You just go online and you ask for the study. Uh, In this paper, identify whether the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic has intensified the use of religion. As of March 26, it had affected 196 countries. Political leaders from across the globe urged their populations to pray. The Prime Minister of Australia even referred to his sore praying knees to encourage his population to pray. So what she's gone, what she's done for this research, she's, 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 she's checked Google search engines all over the planet, every, every major region of the world, and cataloged how many times is the word prayer searched for. Fascinating. I find that the intensified searches on prayer, and that, that she has a graph here, they go just like this, just like this, uh, by the end of March. I find the intensified searches on prayer during the COVID-19 pandemic global. It occurs on all continents, Christians, Muslims, even Denmark, one of the least religious countries in the world, sees systematic increases in internet searches on prayer. Prayer intensity rises in countries that have only recently been hit by the pandemic. The rise in prayer Intensity extends to searches on other religious names such as God, Allah, and Muhammad. So all those searches are going up as well. Thus, the search intensity for prayer doubles for every 80,000 new registered cases. So she's kept track of the cases. And she says every time the word gets 80,000 more, boom, it doubles those seeking. What's the point? The one we just made with Pew Research. In a time of crisis, the heart to a secular world Uh, a world with religion as tradition, but not as a way of life, perhaps. Certainly in the secular West, the heart blows open. All right. Here's another one. This is Wall Street Journal. A coronavirus great awakening, question mark. This is from my friend Marilyn Bauer shared this with me. Now, notice the, notice the, the, the subheading, great, great awakening. Is that what we have going on here? Sometimes the most important ingredient for spiritual renewal is a cataclysmic event. Okay, so this is an op-ed piece by Robert Nicholson. I'm not going to read it to you, just a line or two. Could a plague of biblical proportions be America's best hope for religious revival? As the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II approaches, there is reason to think so. Paragraph, 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 skip. Today, the world faces another moment of cataclysm. Though less devastating than World War II, the pandemic has remade every life, everyday life and wrecked the global economy in a way that feels apocalyptic. Who wouldn't agree? For societies founded on the biblical tradition, meaning 
America, UK, uh, Western societies, cataclysms need not mark the end. They are a call for repentance and revival. As the coronavirus pandemic subjects U.S. hospitals to a fearsome test, Americans can find solace in the notion great struggle can produce great clarity. Now, here's his punchline. Could a rogue virus lead to a grand creative moment in America's history? Will Americans, shaken by the reality of a risky universe, rediscover the God who proclaimed himself sovereign over every catastrophe? Wow. Can you get there from here? Listen, when an op-ed piece suggests that you can, I, for one, take it seriously. Look, op-ed pieces are not just private opinions. They may not always be, be agreed upon by the entire editorial board or staff. But somebody, some influencers are believing what the op-ed piece is suggesting. Could it be? We're on the heat. We're on, we're on the cusp of a coronavirus great awakening. All right, one more piece. My friend Cindy Touche sent this to me within this past week. This is from a website called New Boston Post, all right? New Boston Post, they call themselves the hub of conservative thought. If History Rhymes is the title. It's written by a gentleman, it's another op-ed piece, Joseph Tortelli. It's very clear, and he makes it clear, that he's a Roman Catholic, all right? So, he's wondering out loud. Remember, an op-ed piece generally reflects influencers behind the scenes who share the same conviction. So he's wondering out loud, within weeks, the coronavirus shutdown will draw to its inevitable conclusion. Life will settle into a new normal. In the long run, very likely our lives will change modestly. At least one societal change resulting from the quarantine could do wonders to reinvigorate our national sense of family, faith, and community. Let's give serious thought to reinstating at least some of the time-honored Sunday closure laws. Sort of a one-day-per-week modified stay-at-home request. Such action would rededicate our society to a regular day of rest, family meals, civic associations, and religious observance. You think of what I'm thinking. (laughs) Next line. By redirecting each Sunday as a common day of rest. Ooh, Constantine did that once, didn't he? 321 AD. We would say that the life of America is much more than never-pausing commerce and ever-grinding bureaucracy. Many obvious benefits, then, to faith, family, and community are certain to accrue from Sunday closings. We've got to get away from this consumerism. Less obvious would be an economic uplift for the stores, the little stores that the, what what do they call it, the big malls have practically driven out of business. Skipping line, 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 line. Of course, there will be plenty of entrenched opposition to a renewed Sunday for rest, reflection, family, faith, and community. But whoever imagined that commerce and bureaucracy would grind to a halt for so many days and weeks and perhaps months as a result of a deadly virus. In other words, the virus has shown us that we can live with a a Sunday off, a, a, a Sunday rest, and it won't hurt us at all. We've just proved it. We're still surviving. That's last line. We are witnesses to history rhyming through a medical contagion and many days of quarantine. 
After that quarantine passes, why cannot we also envision higher priorities for 52 Sundays of family dinners, neighborhood gatherings, and church bell chimes? Yes, that, speaking of the church bell chimes, would be the sweetest sound if history rhymes. Well, my dear Mr. Tortelli, I do believe history rhymes. I really do. And we'll be back there in that history one day. Wow. You just file all of that under the heading, can you get there from here? You know what's, what, what, what is a growing con- conviction for me? This business of can you get there from here to there? Are you noticing that the distance between here and there is changing by the hour now. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. One short imperative. Wake up, sleeper. One historic commemoration of death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The Christ who is our intercessor today and who is our soon-coming king one day. May I repeat the word soon? Wake up, sleeper. That's, that's the summons that echoes today from the empty garden tomb. In fact, I want to end with a picture of the garden tomb. Would that be all right? There he is. He's standing outside his garden tomb. Where'd the picture come from? You might remember last fall, I had two young artists on the worship platform with me at Pioneer. Both of them commissioned and paid, by the way, to create two sets of depictions. So there was young Nick Collard, a photography major. He sketched two powerful depictions of Jesus on the cross. And then, as it turns out, Joey Lisa Clark, an architecture major, created two more depictions. One of Jesus rising from the dead and the second of Jesus returning on the cloud. Now watch this. So you're looking at Joe Lisa's rendition. You see Jesus there, that sketch. There he stands in front of that open sepulcher door. And we can almost hear his words, I am the resurrection and the life. Wake up, sleeper, is the earnest cry that echoes from that empty tomb. But I want you to see now her full-color rendition of Jesus' second coming. I have it in my office. Do you see that? Look at that painting. We look at that painting with all its graphic detail and color, and we can hear the words of Jesus, Behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. And once again, wake up, sleeper, is the urgent cry. Because how sad it would be if we kept on celebrating the resurrection of Jesus year after year and forgot all about preparing for the return of Jesus soon. So here you and I are now, face to face again. I simply assure you that that one line on this resurrection weekend Sabbath, that one line is the word of God to you and me right now. Let's pray. Oh God, two portraits of our Lord. And one very earnest cry, wake up, sleeper. For the hope we have that our beloved shall yet wake up, we thank you with all our hearts. 
and for the need we have to also wake up while there's still time, we can only offer you all our hearts. For surely it's a tender cry from the one who loves us most right now. Wake up, sleeper. Wake up. To which we want to reply, by your grace, we will, Lord Jesus. Amen.